Okay, you'd think by episode 40 I'd be running out of things to talk about. Not likely, lads. Not likely. So, I've added a girlfriend to my list of boyfriends. And by right, she should have been on that list from day dot. Because I think my mum put me onto her first like, 20 fucking years ago. But her name is Temple Grandin. And she's a fucking mad bitch. I love her. She's absolutely fucking class. I'm just going to rhyme off the, um, the Wikipedia uh, paragraph on her. Mary Temple Grandin is an American scientist and animal behaviorist. She is a prominent proponent for the humane treatment of livestock for slaughter and author of more than 60 scientific papers on animal behavior. She's also relatively severely autistic. Now, when you've written 60 scientific papers and you're world famous for half a dozen different reasons, to call your to to refer to somebody like that as severely autistic is probably a bit of a stretch when you consider that a severely autistic person you know might be completely nonverbal and mightn't have the the ability to dress or fucking feed themselves basically and they need round the clock essentially palliative care even though they're not about to die but anyway she is an autistic lady and speaks widely and very very eloquently on autism as a as a condition now, I've mentioned uh, endlessly that we have to think in language, that without language, we can't really think. And therefore, that animals, because they don't have language, don't think, or at least they don't think like we do. But Temple Grandin wrote a great book that I haven't read called, what the fuck is it called? Hold on, I have it written down here somewhere. Thinking in Pictures. Okay, so she thinks in pictures. She doesn't think in words. And as far as she's concerned, now I'm quoting her here, she thinks that she thinks like an animal. And the way that she thinks her mind is wired is that she doesn't think in in thoughts per se. She doesn't think in language. She thinks in pictures. And an example of this that she gives is when she asks people to think of a church steeple, what they think of, or even that your house or a car, Generally, people generally what people will think of is a an amalgamation of all church steeples, you know, a, a, a tall, skinny thing with a, a cross on top, maybe. Or if you ask them to think about a car, they think about you know four wheels, four doors, an engine, some bodywork, some windows and seats, and and that's a car. They're able to abstract and pull out what is universal about these things and conjure it in their mind's eye. She can't. When you ask her to think of a car, she will see an Audi A6 2012 white, an S-line. It's incredibly specific. She see she ha- and she has to think she she can only draw up a picture in her mind of something that she has already seen. And she sees as she puts it in photorealistic images. So when she thinks, when you ask her to think of a shoe, she can't just think of, quote, something you put on your foot, end quote. She thinks of a red high heel shoes with laces going up the fucking calf muscle or maybe a steel toe boot or, or something of that nature. It's incredibly specific. And it's, as far as she's concerned, how the autistic mind works. Now, again, as she labours herself and as I laboured, autism is a spectrum. She also calls it a continuum. And my understanding of that is that it essentially means it gets worse from one end of the spectrum to the other. But let me just double check that back in two secs. And I'm back in the room. No, slightly different. So continuum 
according to the internet, quote, a continuous sequence in which adjacent elements are not perceptibly different from each other, but the extremes are quite distinct. Interesting. Now, I've been going down a Temple Grandin-shaped rabbit hole for the last couple of days, and she's just absolutely blowing my fucking mind with all of this stuff, because she's talking about how she thinks differently to most people. And like what I was saying about your man Phineas Gage, when he got that iron rod shoved straight through his skull. The, the effects on his personality after that. There was, there was a, something went wrong and it affected his personality. And that gave us a window into how the mind works or how the brain works. And in the same way, when, when Temple is talking about how she thinks differently and she, she lives in a sensory world, basically. She lives in a, a visual, auditory, touch, taste smell world and again as she would say like an animal which gets me onto the distinction onto the distinction between humans and animals which i absolutely detest we are we seem to have completely convinced ourselves and i don't know if it's arrogance or hubris or a mixture of both we as humans seem to have separated ourselves from the animals and i i don't know i just do not understand where that comes from i really don't we're not like animals uh Antidepressants work on animals as well as they do humans because they've got the, they use the same neurotransmitters and neurochemicals and the same hormones and all that jazz. But to me, there's, there's nothing interesting about that. The fact that antidepressants also help animals. We fucking are animals. We are the same thing. We've separated ourselves too much. The way we conceive of human beings and animals as being importantly different, as far as I'm concerned, is completely wrong-headed. I've often heard before this idea that, oh no, a shark wouldn't, wouldn't attack a human. A shark would only attack a human out of curiosity or it might mistake you for a seal. Bollocks! You're a big splashing lump of meat. Of course it's going to fucking attack you. It's not going to make a distinction. Oh no, that's, that's something other than an animal. I, 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 you know, fins off. And the same is said about bears. Oh no, a bear wouldn't attack you and eat you unless it was starving and it had to or unless it was protecting its young or something. I used to call it bullshit. As far as a fucking carnivore like a bear or a shark is concerned, you're fucking dinner. But we seem to have a very human-centric viewpoint. And what this has me thinking about is another uh, little catchphrase or label that I'm stealing from one of my boyfriends, Pat McNamara. And that term is institutional inbreeding. I fucking love this tune. This tune it's not a tune. This term, institutional inbreeding. So I'm going to do what I can to explain what he means by that by way of an, al- of an, an analogy. Shocker. So I practice jiu-jitsu. I'm relatively proficient in the art of jiu-jitsu. But I do what's called no-gi jiu-jitsu. And that's not no girls, by the way. So if you've ever seen martial arts in movies or whatever, you might see them wearing a thing called maybe a kimono or a gi, kind of like pyjamas. Like it's almost like a dressing gown and you have the belt that's associated with martial arts wrapped around you. So it's a pair of slacks and a kind of an oversized jacket and a belt. In jiu-jitsu, that's called a gi. And... Straight up jiu-jitsu, like classical jiu-jitsu, there's a belt system. So you start off, you're a white belt, then it goes to, I think it's blue, purple, brown, and then black. Other martial arts are different, but I think that's the scoring system in jiu-jitsu. 
But in jiu-jitsu, you have to do, in order to do the grading, in order to go through the belt system, you have to wear this clothing called a gi. And there are different holes, like you, there's a way of gripping the sleeve and there's a way of wrapping a part of your gi around somebody else or a part of somebody else's gi around you. And the gi itself is an integral part of the martial art. But I do what's called no gi. So the jiu-jitsu that I do, I just wear a pair of shorts and a tightly fitting t-shirt. And that's it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the only way to do jiu-jitsu. Because there's too much of that term, institutional inbreeding, in jiu-jitsu with the gi. And what I mean by that is, you have to learn all these different things about how you pull this part of the elbow and how you cup onto this part of the collar and blah, blah, fucking blah. But you get a guy who's proficient in the gi and put him in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, I'll maul him for the most part. Now, if he's a fucking black belt, I'm not going to. But if we're deemed to be relatively experienced, that we have about the same amount of time on the mat, say, and the same proficiency in jiu-jitsu proper, and we compete in the gi, say, he's going to maybe have an advantage on me because he knows how to utilise the gi to his advantage and I'm not going to know that. But we don't walk around wearing fucking gis. And if that same person is with me on the mat in a pair of shorts and t-shirts, he's fucked because all his fucking fancy little fucking pulls and tugs and holes and wraparounds of the, the cloth of the jiu-jitsu, of the, the cloth of the jiu-jitsu, the cloth of the gi won't mean shit to him because it's not there. And that's just using jiu-jitsu as an example. But jiu-jitsu, I think, is, this, is in this instance, is a synonym for teaching generally. It's a synonym for the education system. So I've, I've endlessly given out about people who will consider I have a degree in this as something that will bolster their argument. Your degree means nothing to me. Nothing to me. Your qualification means nothing to me. Your occupation means nothing to me. The only thing that I care about is the the quality of your speech. It's how well you know what it is that you're talking about and how well you can articulate it. Any falling back on, I do this for a living, I've got a degree in this, I spent six years in college, blah, 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 blah. It's falling on deaf ears as far as I'm concerned. A qualification like that or an occupation like that, as far as I'm concerned, is nothing more than a stick to beat you with. And what I mean by that is, if I'm chatting to, you know, just a regular dude, he doesn't have a qualification in anything in particular, whatever else, and we're talking about the brain, and he mentions that, isn't it mad the way that there's, you know, hundreds of neurons in our brain? I just go, oh, fuck, no, man, you're off, boy, fucking many's a factor there, lad. Like, there's, there's billions of neurons in the brain. Or if I'm talking to somebody, again, who doesn't have a particular qualification in anything, and they say, isn't it mad the way there's thousands of stars in the galaxy? And you're like, uh, yeah, there is thousands, all right, yeah, certainly, but there's also billions. Like, galaxies aren't made up of thousands of stars. They're made up of either billions or trillions of stars. You're off by a massive factor there. That's fine. We can just continue both those conversations and there's no problem. But if one of those person, one of those people has a degree in astronomy and they only think that there's thousands of stars in the galaxy, I'm fucking sorry, lad, but it's fucking ball burst game over. You're a retard. You're an absolute muppet. You've no business talking about anything in relation to space or physics or fucking anything, you're a moron. And the same can be said for the guy who's got a degree in neuroscience and thinks that we have hundreds of neurons in our brain. Ball burst, game over, we're done, we're through. You're a fool. And in that sense, that's what I mean by your qualification, as far as I'm concerned, is something just to beat you over the head with. 
because as far as I'm concerned, that's completely unacceptable. I spoke to a guy before with a degree in geography who laughed in my face because I thought that Australia was closer to the size of Europe than closer to the size of Ireland. He has a degree in geography and thought that Australia was about the same size as Ireland. Fucking case in point. But anyway, back to institutional inbreeding and Temple Grandin. Something that Temple Grandin have heard her mention endlessly. One of the things that she says is just the biggest no-no with animals, with animal husbandry, is slippery floors. She says it drives them nuts and you'll never be able to get an animal to cooperate with you if it doesn't have a sure footing. If it's on a slippery footing, you're kind of fucked from the get-go. Think of every veterinary surgeon, veterinary surgery clinic in the fucking world. What do they put their animals on? Slippery stainless steel surfaces. What are they floored with? Slippery fucking tiles. That's an entire industry that has its entire head up its entire arse. And that, again, it's just another perfect encapsulation of what I would call, or sorry, not what I would call, what Pat McNamara calls institutional inbreeding. And as far as I'm concerned, the antidote to institutional inbreeding has to be in real world application. What you're being taught has to be tested. It's all well and good writing it down on a page. And my own, I've, this is something that I've learned firsthand from setting up my own business. First of all, you have an idea in your head of, oh, maybe this would work. Okay, but before you can actually build what it is that you've kind of visualized in your mind's eye, you have to write down a plan. So you, you write down a plan, and once you write down a plan, and when I say write down your plan, I mean actually draw it. I mean technically draw it. So you, you make a to-scale drawing of what you're, going to put, what you're going to put in place. And that to-scale drawing will show you, if you put something that's two foot wide here and something that's two foot wide here side by side in a room that's eight foot wide, that means you've got four feet of space. You're going to have that for a walkway, so you're going to have two feet of space either side. And it's not until you can actually put down these specific measurements that you can get a good conception of how it's going to work in the real world. But you're not really going to know how it's going to work until you build the fucking thing and you put it into place. Because there's going to be so much that you're going to miss that's on the drawing. There's going to be so much that you're going to miss when it's only in your head or only on the page. You have to enact these things. You have to bring them out into the real world. A guy who is proficient in jiu-jitsu using the gi is going to find himself in a fucking fight outside a fucking nightclub one day and he's going to try and choke somebody with his t-shirt and his t-shirt's going to come off in his hand and he's going to be fucked and it's the real world application and that's what I absolutely loved and still love about mixed martial arts as a, a form of unarmed combat because it includes everything that works in the real world and it throws out everything that it doesn't Another good example of institutional inbreeding in keeping with martial arts is Taekwondo. Now, I don't mean to shit too heavily on Taekwondo because I think you're far better off doing Taekwondo than no martial art. Absolutely. But there's this thing within Taekwondo that's called patterns. And it's essentially a choreographed dance thing. I don't fully understand it. But you there are patterns that you have to move. So you move your left foot forward, you move your right foot back, you put your fucking right elbow up and your left elbow down and there's a there's a way of moving in a within a systematic approach that you have to learn off. Now, hypothetically this is supposed to translate to fighting. Fucking bollocks as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying it's not without its merits. 
But what I am saying is, and I got this from Joe Rogan, he was a black belt in Taekwondo and he was state champion for, I think it was four, if not more years running and would have been national champion or at least state champion for more years if he didn't move away from the sport. And the reason that he moved away from the sport, because as he put it, it gave him the impression that he was better than he was, basically. He was essentially blowing smoke up his ass. Because when he got into jiu-jitsu in particular and then into martial arts, or sorry, mixed martial arts, he realised that so much of the things that he had taught would have been the killer move in a fight. Just didn't fucking work. Because for a start, you're not, you're not sparring with somebody who's under the impression that you're not going to strike to the head or whatever different conditions are for, for sparring and competing in taekwondo. Again, it's, it's not something I'm particularly well versed in, so I probably shouldn't even mention it. But anyway, it's nearly 17 minutes. Holy fuck, lads. I went down a bit of a pain rabbit hole after yesterday's podcast. More to come on pain. That's a fucking fascinating thing. And there's half a dozen different things, so I'm going to have absolutely no problem finishing it this season. That is for sure. And on that note, I'll catch you tomorrow.